Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 346, Living an Inspired Life as a Small Firm Architect with architect life coach, Douglas Teeger. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Douglas Teeger, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. This is definitely going to be a fun one. You and I have talked a little bit offline. We are definitely on the same page, have similar missions. Um, we want to make the world a better place through architecture and help architects make the world a better place. So um, I think this will be a, a very easy conversation, and I think the listeners will, will enjoy it as well. Um, with over 38 years of practice, Douglas has a wide range of experience. Uh, he started working for other firms after graduating in 1982, which led him to open his own firm in 1989. In 1999, Douglas formed a partnership, uh, Abramson Tiger Architects, ATA, uh, lasting 20 years and grew a six-person firm into a 32-person firm. And as managing director of that firm, Douglas's ability to effectively streamline the operations allowed for more time to be spent on design and project research a major factor in the consistent high level of the design that came, came through at ATA. Uh, Douglas's current mission is to mentor young firms in order to accelerate their growth. Using his expertise and his experience, he acts as a sounding board for young principals as well as uh, a guide through all aspects of practicing, including strategic planning, operations, human resources, marketing, all the, the different fundamentals of business and business development, his life coaching skills facilitate a work-life balance as an important part of a successful practice. And that is what I want to talk about today, Doug. This is, this is a, t a subject that's near and dear to my heart. It's one of the, and the, to mine. One of the, the inspirations of Entree Architect right from the beginning is sharing my knowledge so other architects can learn how to build better businesses so they can have better lives because 
when they have better businesses and better lives, the world is better through the work they do. Um, and so uh, I wanted to invite you and have this conversation about uh, living this, this balanced life, this integrated life as an architect, uh, so you can do your best work and be your best person. So um, that shared a little bit about who, who you are and talked a little bit about what we're going to talk about before we talk about that. I want you to share a little bit more about you uh, go a little bit deeper and, and uh, talk about your origin story. What inspired you to become an architect and share your story from where you discovered that passion to where you are today? Sure. Thanks, Mark. And we are on the same page. It's really such a pleasure to speak to a like-minded person that wants to share best practices because I'm all about a rising tide rises all boats. Absolutely. And so many firms have the attitude of holding cards close to their chest and I really think that your creativity is your intellectual property, but your uh, how you run a business, your chart of accounts, your, your setups, your project management skills is all something to be shared. And that's what I'm here to do is share that kind of information with my clients. Yeah. So fill in some of the gaps in my background. So I graduated Cornell University. I finished the five-year program in four years because I just wanted to get out there and practice. <laughs> um, I knew I wanted to be an architect since about age nine and I started working for architecture offices when I was 14, um, being assisting, doing as-built uh, field measurements, uh, building models. Uh, I was just blessed to have an architect that took me under his wing way back w w when I was just 14. Worked for a 300-person firm, a 25-person firm, a three-person firm, so I have the experience of large, medium, and small. Uh, I knew I wanted to start my own office. I was given that chance when I was with a 15-person uh, firm running a private residence, a $30 million private residence back in 1987. So it was a huge project. And I became the project architect working with over 20 consultants. And I call that my master's degree in architecture. Yeah, you can learn a lot very quickly doing that. Yes, I was really thrown into the deep end, and I was fortunate to have my own mentor in that room. There was a 70-year-old spec writer uh, who, who pulled me aside and said, you know, Doug, you can't take any bullshit here. You know, here's what you have to do. And he really guided me through the process. And I'm so blessed to have that person in my life that stayed with me. He died, you know, 20 years ago, but he was an important factor in the early part of my career. And it led me to believe having a mentor is so important. And I've always reached out to people with more experience than me as mentors. Ten years. So going back about, I, I formed ATA in 19, in 2000. 10 years into that practice, I went and got a master's in spiritual psychology. And that was really the tipping point in my life. My wife, who uh, did the program before me, just made an amazing transformation. And understanding if I could have that, that incremental improvement in my life at 40 for the rest of my life, oh my God, how, can, how that change can really help. So I took those uh, uh, life lessons and, and the master's in spiritual psychology program turns out a lot of life coaches. So that shifted how I was as a managing principal, shifted how I was as a person, shifted my approach to life to understanding what's important in life. Every moment up to then, I was never in the moment. I was always in school wanting to work. I finished the five-year program in four years, never had a girlfriend, never had fun, never joined a frat. I just was focused on work. I joined a firm. I burned the midnight oil. I proved that I was the best. I just wanted to say I'm doing everything I can to have my own firm. Once I had my firm, still, you know, dating a little, no serious girlfriend, no wife, no kids. Uh, I said, okay, I'll get a dog. That's the start. <laughs> but everything in my life was always what's next, pushing, pushing, pushing. And until I went through this program, I was able to internalize and slow down a little bit. And that's when the shift occurred in my life. And that's when the understanding of the importance of work-life balance really took off. Around the same time, I became president of the American Institute of Architects, Los Angeles chapter. And through that experience, I did a lot of public speaking. 
I reached out to a lot of firm owners and I became curious what's working, what's not working. And I loved talking to all these firm owners to understand how they were as leaders. And that informed me as I became a better leader. And then last year I was given the opportunity to bring three junior partners to, or three associates to partner. And I was bought out and I was able to transition my life from being a managing partner for my firm to starting to help multiple firms. Uh, likewise, I I, I, I've been working with my own business coach for 10 years and my business coach about three or four years ago was saying, Doug, you're going to be an amazing business coach. You know, why are you just in this one firm? You could be helping many firms and understanding that having a business coach was a huge part of the success in our practice and helping me stay focused and just bouncing ideas off of someone not in the weeds. So that all brought me, all my life experience brought me to combining all the skills in terms of understanding design, understanding award-winning world-class design, understanding the people skills to create that type of design. It is a teamwork. And then understanding that my passion is really about helping people create that, that culture and the operational foundation for success. So, and through mutual friends, we got connected. Right. So I'm all about connection and relationship and reaching out and sharing the knowledge that I've accumulated over, over 40 years. That's a and I just turned 60, so 60 last weekend. Happy birthday. Happy Thank birthday. You. That's, that's a fantastic story. Um, and uh, it, it, to, to, to hear that you discovered your passion at nine and started working at 14 and going through Cornell and, uh, and four years instead of five and, and, and having all of this happen with you and then, and then um, finding this new spiritual awareness of who you are and, and what you might do um, and what that led to you is such an inspiring story right there, just all by yes. itself. When you look at that story, when you hear yourself tell that story, um, do you look back and sort of connect the dots that it all was almost a plan to get to you to where you are now and, and your purpose for today? It's funny you say that. If we believe there's a higher spirit, and I'm not talking God, religion, any of that, but yep. if there's something bigger than us, because we're just a yep. tiny speck on this. And you're speaking with somebody who does believe moving that. in space, yep. you know, we're a tiny speck. Yep. That there is not one plan, but I truly believe we come to experience the human experience. And we have the choice of how we want to experience what's going on right now and right now is is fascinating times we don't have to call them we don't have to judge them good or bad it's just what is right and what is 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 very complex so every step in my path led me to where i am but it could have been different steps and i might have been someplace else so only if I took the steps that I took would I wind up here. Right. And I'm grateful for where I am now. Yeah. And I think if we can all look back and see the blessings we've had along the way and realize it was all divinely perfect to bring us to this moment. Yeah. And to realize that life is, is about providing opportunity to learn and taking every experience and saying, what can I learn from this experience? If you lose a project, what can I learn? Why did I lose that? If an employee quits, well, why did he quit? Um, if I got an award, you know, say, what did I do right on that? It's not only when, when things don't go well, but when things go well to say, hey, you know, let's take a moment and appreciate that. Yeah. How, how did I get here? Either way. How did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another theme through your story were mentors that you had yes. a, a mentor early on, a, an architect at 14, that sort of took you under his wing and, and embraced you as an architect and taught you what he knew and opened up and shared with him or shared with you. And then again, uh, your, your friend, the 70 year old as a young architect sort of 
again, taking you under his wing and teaching you the, the ways of the, the profession. How important yes. were those mentors in your development as an architect and as a person, uh, and, and again, to where you are now? I look back, as we're talking now, I really haven't thought about this, but looking back, you know, I am so grateful. Oh, my God. How many amazing men and women, how many father figures I had that were just so nurturing and showed me how to be a better leader, a better man, and how many um, female mentors showed me the, the feminine side of what's important and learning from both of those. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, I think mentorship uh, and sharing your knowledge is, is a critical piece of being a human uh, to, yes. make, to make the world a better place, uh, but specifically in a profession that has been so secretive and so mm -hmm. uh, they sort of uh, traditionally have hoarded information and, and kept it from others. Uh, almost as an advantage, thinking there was an advantage to doing that. Yes, and there's not. Yeah, and I and I and there were generations, and even the AIA in their history, it was almost encouraged to stay uh, secretive and and not talk about how you do what you do. Well, it's fascinating because in Europe, fees are standardized. In the U.S., it's illegal to talk to call another firm and say, "Hey." You know, let's talk about fees. You're not allowed to do that. That's 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 crazy. Yeah. You know, we're 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 chasing we're chasing projects to the lowest fee, which shouldn't be the, the object. It should be what's the value we're bringing, and what's a fair compensation for that value. Right. Right. It's, it's exactly. crazy to not be able to discuss with each other. You know, what's a fair fee? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's changing. I think a lot of us are discovering that that we can do that in specific ways and, and share the knowledge that we have. Entree Architect, a lot of Entree Architect and, and the foundation of what we've done uh, is intentionally to have those open conversations among architects uh, and right. to be able to, to share share knowledge with one another. Um, the the um, the integrated life that you now live. Uh, this balanced life, you call it an inspiring, balanced life. And that's sort of your mission to, to live it yourself and to help others live an inspiring, balanced life. Um, when did you, in your timeline that you just shared with us, when did that, the first thought of that, because you, you, are, you are sort of an extreme example of this person who was so focused and determined to succeed and all that mattered was success. And then today, you were a very different person. When did you discover that new side of who you were? At different points, it up-leveled at different points in my life. So one of the main transitions was I was working for Waldo Fernandez. That's a very well-respected interior designer. I was doing houses for Merv Griffin, Cher, Olivia Newton-John store, just these beautiful architectural masterpieces. I had my dream job. Right. You made my it. roommate, my roommate at the, and I was 26, my roommate at the time. And I was one of two architects with him doing this. He did the interiors. I did the architecture 26 years old. Was that your first, first job out of school? No, that was my third job. So I worked in New York for two years for a, a 300 person firm. I worked in LA for two years for Arthur Erickson, where I did mm -hmm. competitions and won the San Diego Convention Center competition. And then I was pulled to work for Walter Fernandez. So it was just a great accelerated learning opportunity and, yeah. and business opportunity. My roommate at the time was a, uh, did corporate videos and he was hired by MCI to do a corporate video where his retainer was $10,000. And we're back in 86. So it was a big retainer. Yeah. He was also 25 years old, hustler. And the project was canceled, but he got to keep the retainer. And he said, Doug, I'm going to travel the world. So he bought a TWA round the world ticket, which back then was $2,000. He said, I'm just going to travel the world. And then I'm thinking, Jesus, this guy always gets breaks like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm busting my ass. I'm working 16 hours a day, but I'm loving it because it's great. You know, I have these amazing jobs and I'm going to work and I'm getting more resentful from Monday to Friday. You know, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Yeah. You know, is it to just do these beautiful houses? 
So on Friday, I was only at this company for about 18 months. On Friday, I told my roommate, I said, whatever you do, just buy two, I'll go with you. Wow. And I stayed at the company another six months. We did six months of planning and I left and I said, am I making the biggest mistake of my life? You know, did I just throw my dream job away? Right. Am I going to be blacklisted? Am I going to come back and be blacklisted? But I decided to take the life experience and to travel for a year with a backpack, with no agenda and no time frame of having to be somewhere. And one of my highlights of that trip was winding up in Nepal, winding up in a monastery and spent two weeks in silence on a monastery. And at the end of that, we got to speak to the Lama that was part of the monastery and we were meditating eight hours a day, no talking at all. Um, they did a couple lectures where they communicated. And at the end, I went up to the Lama and you're allowed, you were given five minutes, one question. I said, is it possible to take this sense of peace and go back and work in a city like Los Angeles? And I was expecting some big answer. And he looked right. at me and said, no. <laughs> One word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was the shift that launched me into meditation. Yeah. And I've continued since then. And that was the biggest shift to say life experiences are equally important. And the, the end of that story is I came back and I got an even better job. Right. This is where I became project architect for this $30 million house. Yeah. I, and I, I sold the project. You know, it's like I came in, I, I joined this firm and he was going after the project. I'm saying you're going after the project the wrong way. This guy fired three other firms before interviewing us. And he fired the firms because they would give him a budget and it went over budget. And this was Jerry Parencio who, um, owned the Beatles. He's, his claim to fame was he brought the Beatles to America and owned the rights to the Beatles their first year in America. He followed that up with creating pay-per-view TV. So this was a genius. This was a bright, yeah. you know, Elon Musk of his time in entertainment. And then he bought Embassy Pictures and he was Fortune 165 when we did his house. He, in the meeting with all of us, started saying, I can't understand you goddamn architects. I can design a movie down to the gnat's ass of a dime, you know, <laughs> Uh, pending that there's no special effects. And at 26, I raised my hand in that room and I said, you know, this whole house is a special effect. And it was, it truly was. Yeah. We were designing, there wasn't one exposed HVAC grill in the house. We held the crown molding one inch from the ceiling and did circular ducts that blew continuous air between the crown molding and the ceiling. In 19, this was built in 1980. 88 there was not a single light switch in the house all the light switches were behind magnetic panels in the jam of a door that you could just touch it and it would turn on the this is before all this right, high-tech right. stuff yeah we he worked with a french architect that imported all the rooms were imported from chateaus in, in europe that were being demolished so we would get these beautiful inlaid wall paneling that we'd have to reshape to fit the room of this house. It was just a great experience, but it's, that was thinking I'd never get a better job. So we never know mm -hmm. what lies ahead. And one prayer I always say is for this or something better. We don't know what's going to lie ahead. It's like, oh my God, I want this client. This client's going to change my life. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But if the intention is for this or something better, then if it's there to be, it'll be. And it'll always lead to something else. There's no end to the game. What's the quote from uh, the movie of the hotel in India? Um, if it's not good, it's not the end. Oh, all will be good. In the end, all will be good. If it's not all good, it's not the end. Got it. Yeah, yeah. That's very good. And I've experienced many, many times this very similar things where you think it's the end. You think it's the end of the world in, in, in your own personal world. Um, and, and something better comes along. And you, you, for me, I acknowledge that, oh, that's why I, that didn't work. You know, yeah. that's, that's why that failed because that was setting me up for this opportunity. Um, that right. if, if that worked out, this would have never happened. And and my life, my whole life has been that. Um, if, yes. I, if I go back and I look at the dots and I connect the dots, I say, oh, that disaster in my life led to this. 
which is so much better. And that led to this and this, this conversation with you right now through the Entree Architect podcast is all the result of all those steps along the way. Yes. Um, and I look at the entire platform of Entree Architect as a result of that. I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm an architect. I too had decided I was going to be an architect when I was 10. Right. And, and today I've built Entree Architect and that's this platform do very little practice. My whole life was I'm going to practice architecture. And now my purpose is to help other architects build better lives and, and do better things. And I still practice, but that's no longer my purpose. This I feel is my purpose. But it's the practice of creating a better practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's becoming great in whatever you do. So your field is still architecture. And your your gift is creating the ability for architects to do better. Yeah. I agree with yeah. you. And 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 I still am 100% an architect. Even if I never design another building, I will be an architect totally the day I die. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, RCAT.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit RCAT.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and RCAT will deliver. That's RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets. Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, because that's a big big topic. People are afraid. Right, because from a spiritual perspective, once again, not religious. Yes. From a spiritual perspective, we are divine beings having a human experience. So we are first a divine being. We shouldn't, or let's take should out of it. My belief is we are not defined as an architect. We're defined as a human being who practices architecture, which allows that life balance to occur. Because if we are a human being, there's so many aspects to what is a human being. 
It's the ability to be in a relationship, to have, you know, relationships to me are, are the gift of life mm-hmm. and to have family and to express everything that you like to express your, your, you know, whether it's athletics, it's your artistic side, music, painting, architecture, uh, whatever that gift is, is part of the human experience, but it's not, I am an architect and that gives, and therefore that gives me meaning. Yeah. It's, I am a human being, therefore that gives me meaning. And I'm practicing architect as one of the aspects. Yeah. I, and then that's a very important message. And I hope people listen to that and may even go back and listen to it again, because I, in my experience, um, even people who are very close to me, they have passions that are beyond architecture and they are mm-hmm. afraid to pursue them because they are afraid to lose the identity of being an architect. Um, right. and so they never, and they never pursue those passions. They never pursue those, that the potential of your purpose, uh, because mm-hmm. you've worked so hard to get to where you are here as an architect. You're a perfect example of that. You've worked since you were nine to become quote unquote an architect. Um, and somewhere along the line, you realized that there's a bigger purpose, that architecture was part of the process to get you to where you are now. Yes. Um, and you are still every much an architect that you were before you made that decision to, to do what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it, it's so true that architecture is a great profession. It offers so much and it has the ability to create an amazing life for both the 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 gifts that architecture allows you to leave structures that'll be here for hopefully a long time and to create space that other people live in and when i was an architect my my uh, mission statement was we believe architecture should raise your soul to a higher spiritual level and to be able to walk into a place and be uplifted uh, even before I knew what feng shui was, I really believed there were buildings that just had a positive feel to them and yeah. buildings that had a negative feel. And you would walk in and just get that sense. And it's that innate ability to create place, to create a sense of place that feels good to your soul. Right. And so even the spiritual, and this was back in, so this started after my year of travel when I started my own firm, that you know, what's important to create a space that you walk into and just energetically raises your soul. How can other, there are architects listening that, that are listening to what we're saying and feel, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could find that balance. I wish I could f- find a way to uh, find my purpose. What are some of the steps that they can take away from this conversation that they might start the journey to where they belong? Sure. So shifting the concept of wish to intention. And to me, words are critical and words have meaning. And I do a lot of workshops on core values. And so many people start with a core value that states the negative. And let's flip that around. Let's state what you want, not what you don't want. And the intention of just stating, I want a balanced life. I didn't have a balanced life for my first year, first six years of my, um, I have three boys, first six years of their life. I wasn't home for dinner Monday to Friday. And I literally, after going through my spirituality, master's in spirituality program, I went back to my partner. I said, let's renegotiate. If money, what's important to you, you take the money. I want the freedom and I want to be able to leave at five and have a balanced family life. So I walked my talk. I gave up a lot of my shares to say family is important to me and a balanced life is important to me. And there still was a lot of resentment that I took that attitude and approach, but it was a conscious intention. And I gave up a lot to, to walk that talk. Yeah. That that's the key is, is to be intentional about it, to make a decision that this, and it, it, it might have a monetary impact, right? So right. then you have to say, really, and that, that gets back to your 10-year plan. Where do you want to be in 10 years? What's important to you? What's your financial goal, your family goal? And how can we balance that to be a win-win situation? And there's, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a discussion of what's more important. And then once you have a vision of where you want to be, you're going to make decisions along the way that are going to support that or not support that. 
So you might have to take on a project where you know you're going to be putting in 80-hour weeks and it could launch you into something new, but is that in service to your 10-year plan? Right. Right. So when you write a 10, or do you, do you ask them to write a 10-year plan when you're working with a, a, one of your clients? Are you, do you ask them to write that down? I work through them to, yes, to, to write that down. And I've, I'm a big believer in the EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, and using the, the methodology that comes through that in terms of starting with your uh, core value statement, your mission and vision statement. Once you have that, you really understand the, the market that you're going after and the clients and projects you want to go after. And then from there, uh, understanding what is... Um, a reach, but realistic because a 10 year plan is not, I want to be a billionaire. Yeah. A 10 year plan is understanding where you are now, where you want to go. And is it possible? Is, is, can, can you visualize getting there? What do you say to people who say 10 years is too, too much that I can't even plan tomorrow? Cause I, sure. get, I get that all the time when I, when sure. I suggest this. So we do three things. We do a 10 year plan a three-year plan, and a one-year plan. The 10-year plan is the vision. That's the intention. My intention is to be here and to have it be still realistic, but the intention is a stretch. The three-year plan is a lot more feasible because you really know where you are now. And if you're at X now and you want to grow 10X a year, uh, 10% a year, that's realistic. If you want to grow 20% a year, maybe, but we're going to have to do a lot of work to grow 20% a year. And you, all of that is a, it comes down to a mathematical calculation. Because if you're making a million dollars a year and you want to grow 10% a year, that's 10, uh, 100,000 a year, you have to generate X number of projects generating a fee of, of X and you have to hire X number of employees where their cost is is you know seventy five thousand a year? You're billing them at two hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year. Your profit margin is this. You can calculate out your goal of where you want to be and work backwards to say what do you have to do to achieve that. Right. So that plan is is easy to to turn into real numbers mathematically. Right. And then, do you want to work that hard to get it? Do you want to go after that many projects? Because I, I track, I love creating a scorecard and tracking metrics against every part of the business. There's a marketing part of the business. So how many networking events are you going to? How many business cards are you getting at that networking events? How many follow-up meetings are you having at that from that networking event? How many of those follow-up meetings are turning into the lead, the, the ability to generate a lead? How many turn into a request for proposal? What's your hit rate on your proposals? And then tracking how many are your repeat clients, new clients, all of that is the metric for marketing that will determine how quickly you can grow your business. We can have metrics on, on project profitability, on firm profitability, and there's a difference between project profitability and firm profitability. Yep. We can have a metric on office culture. You know, how many fun events are you doing a month? How many uh, um, uh, lunch and learns are you providing? How many, you know, we can define the scorecard is customized. Someone can't call me and say, Doug, send me the scorecard. The scorecard is based on what's important to you. There's not one size fits all for any, any system. So no system is going to come in and solve the problem. It's going to be working with someone that understands who you are as an individual and saying, what's going to work for you. And everyone has a different way that they like working with uh, a coach. Some people like the hard uh, hold accountable. Here's the scorecard. Here's the spreadsheet. Other clients like a more soft approach that, you know, not being overwhelmed. Let's pick one thing we can do and just focus on that. Right. Right. And those metrics are critical. Those metrics are the thing that holds you to accountable, holds you to account to be accountable. Uh, if you can't measure it, you can't track it. Right. And that, that sort of, that, that, uh, allows you to track the decisions you've made that are all part of the intention, right? So if you, if you start with the big picture, the big vision, the 10 year plan and work your way down to a five year plan to a one year plan, you keep breaking it down and break it down, break it down, break it down to what do you do today, right at this moment 
to meet the metrics in order to work your way back up to that intention. Correct. Correct. So using the EOS analogy, they have uh, what they call 90-day rocks. And a 90-day rock is breaking down where you want to be in one year, but in 90 days, what are you going to accomplish? And if you want to uh, sign one new client, the rock is not sign one new client. Or the rock is sign one new client, but then we break it down. Right. What are the steps? Attend. What are the steps? And are we hitting each step within those 90 days? Right. Right. And so it takes it in order to get to where you want to go. It takes all of this, right? It takes this big, big giant picture and it takes the, the plan uh, on how you're going to get there. And it takes the accountability so you can make the adjustments to make sure that you're staying on track for the plan. So it, yeah. you have to get all the way down to the, to the, literally what are you going to do today in order to right. accomplish what you want to do for tomorrow? Yes. And, and realizing there has to be, if we have 40 hours in a week, how are you spending those 40 hours? And to me, 25% should be on your business. 25%. And that means on the processes to make your business successful, setting up a better chart of accounts, setting up better accountability of project management, setting up better financial controls, setting up KPIs that you're looking at. 25% is marketing and business development going after new work. 25% is design time or working on the projects. And 25% of the time is client relations and really nurturing the existing clients. So those four, I had, I had a session yesterday where a client was asking who's running a 14-person office, you know, well, how should I be dividing up my week? Because he doesn't plan for it. His week runs him. Right. And that's typical, and, you know, from, yeah. from what I hear and what I listen to. And I think that's typical even outside of architecture. It's just you just wake up and what do I need to do today to keep going and make sure the bills are paid? Yeah. But I literally color code my calendar. And I have yeah, my marketing too. color, my coaching color, uh, my personal color, and I lay out my calendar of what my week's going to be. And I think so few people do that. And so few um, uh, principles keep track of their own time. Yeah, and that's, they, that's, I don't need that's to do so that. important. Yeah. yeah. You know, if we're in a service industry that's billing time, you have to track time. Yeah. And I even think your non-billable people should track time. Yeah. It, I, this has been such an interesting conversation because we've, we've been, we've been to the, to the mountains and we've come all the way back down to the sea. We are, we, we've talked, talked about big, big picture and vision and, and inspiration. Um, and, and all the way down to practical real tools, practical some, tools, do some calendar blocking and make sure you know what you're doing this week. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of, the the uh, the the fundamental takeaway I think uh, of of living an inspired uh, balanced life is is decision you have to make decisions and those decisions have to be based on what you ultimately want your life to be and if you well want I your... I I'd, I'd go back I once again I I shift the word decision because the decision assumes that something's already been decided so first is setting the intention right of where you want to be. Right. And then making decisions based on that intention. Based on the intention. Yeah. Right. But the, exactly. And that's what I, that's what I intended. Is what <laughs> intended <Yeah>. the intention <laughs> was, was, was you have to go through that process. And that's a process that many, many people skip is that yes. big vision process. I don't really need that. Just tell me what to do. Right. But you have to go through that process. You have to yes. look at the big picture. You have, I call it a vision narrative. You have to yeah. write uh, out a narrative of what you want your life to look like. Because if you don't know where you want to go, you don't know how to get there. You can't, you can't plot a map if you don't know where you're going. I mean, isn't the architectural industry a great analogy for that? You have to plan what the building's going to look like. You can't just tell a contractor, okay, go build it. Right, exactly. So I you hope our conversation, uh, Douglas, has, has uh, inspired some of our listeners to take action on that, to, to write that 10-year plan and start there. Just Start there. Write that ten-year plan, and then and then work your way so, through that. So I'll I'll interject that I don't think that's a solo process. I think a a workshop with your leadership team, and if you don't have a leadership team with people you value in your life, your partner, your friend that you really respect in business, a mentor, I would call up 
and have five to six people in the room and either have a facilitator or someone who's good at facilitating this type of work to lead you through the exercise, to ask for help, to say, listen, I haven't done this. I'm really, you know, want to define what my vision is, what my core values are, and I could use your help. But I think doing it alone is a lot more challenging than being in a uh, leadership team workshop environment. That's very good advice, and and I agree with you. I think that that when because I've, I've I'm actually working with people right now in that exact process, and and they would never get to where they are today without the ability to go back and forth and talk about what if and go through the scenarios of well, just imagine, talk about what that could be, right? And and mm -hmm. you can never get there if you just sit down and start writing it, because the ideas, those connections that come from having that dialogue back and forth with people you trust. Uh, really open up the possibilities of what you can do with your life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think there have been very few solo successes. I think really a almost every great, every greatness was generated by a team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Douglas, this has been an inspiring conversation for me. <laughs> I'm sure that our listeners are enjoying it as well. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you one question that I ask everybody. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think we've said it. It would be setting an intention for where you want to be, just putting it in writing. And if you put it in writing and you achieve it, you can say, great. And then if you haven't achieved it, you can be course correcting to say, what can I do to achieve it? And once you achieve it, you can set that next intention. His name is Douglas Teeger. Uh, you can learn more about Doug and everything he does. You can reach out to him, douglasteeger.com. We'll have links to everything on the show notes. Uh, Douglas, if there, was a, if there were people who are listening and they wanted to sort of take action with you, what's, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? I would say to reach out via email would be best. It's dt at douglasteeger.com. I put on a few uh, mastermind classes. Uh, most of my coaching is one-on-one. -on -one. I feel it's really effective to have the one-on-one -on -one coaching, and that brings me the most joy is really seeing that, that improvement one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend that if you are inspired to pursue this idea of finding your purpose to reach out to Douglas, as you can, can – uh, here in our conversation here today, he's very passionate about helping us as architects and as people. And so if you're interested, just reach out to him, dt at douglasteeger.com. Douglas, this has been a very inspiring conversation for me. I, I, as expected, we are very much on the same page here, um, trying to live a very similar life and trying to make a difference in the world in a very similar way. So I appreciate you for coming on here and, and being so open and sharing with your knowledge uh, and I appreciate you for, um, for, for what you do in the profession. Uh, I appreciate you for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you. And likewise, it's so much fun to talk to a uh, like-minded person. And we share the same values and, and uh, outlook on the profession and life. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Episode 346. That's what you've been listening to with, with my friend Douglas Teeger. Um, listening to a conversation about living an inspired life as a small firm architect. How can you do that? How can you live that balanced life? If this is a show that resonated with you, if it's a show that you think uh, one of your friends might need to hear right now at this moment, share this link. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 346. That is the link for the show notes and the link to share this episode. EntreeArchitect.com dot com slash episode three four six entree architect is a proud member of the gable media network it is the most engaged aec multimedia network on the planet curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com that's g-a-b-l media.com and check out the Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training with experts just like Douglas, supportive architect community ready for you, waiting, we build it right there in Slack for you. 
a, an engaged, active community of small firm entrepreneur architects, all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership. Learn more and enroll today at entrearchitect.com slash join. entrearchitect.com slash join. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. I'll see you next week. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.